Why do believers in Jesus sacrifice to joyously meet the needs of others? It's because it is our Savior's DNA, and as His family, it should be ours. We learned how the church in Antioch was born, and as Paul and Barnabas taught the new believers about their faith, a prophet predicted a severe famine that would especially devastate Judea. Let's join our study leader Dave Wordson as we look at chapter 11, verse 27, to see how these new one-year-old believers responded. Have you ever asked yourself the question why it is that when it comes to organizations like Samaritan's Purse, World Vision, Food for the Hungry, I could go on and on, why is it that almost all of the Salvation Army, almost all of those organizations were started by believers just like yourself? Almost all of those benevolent organizations that feed the hungry and meet the needs when famines strike and when tornadoes and hurricanes strike, almost all of those organizations were started by believers just like you. And they're sustained because when we hear about needs, we want to respond. Where does that come from? And I want to present to you this morning that it's part of Jesus's DNA. You see, Jesus as God's son was living in eternity past, living in perfect bliss, perfect goodness, perfect joy. And yet he chose and his father has been involved in this world. The spirit's been involved in the chaos of this world from the beginning. It's the DNA of the eternal God that he enters into brokenness. He enters into suffering. He enters into those that are grieving and he seeks to meet those needs. It's part of Jesus's DNA to want to feed the hungry. Turn to Acts chapter 11, and we're going to see how our early church of Antioch, which was the first predominantly Gentile church, so it was a church a lot like ours, and one of our passions as we go through the book of Acts needs to be to allow the Holy Spirit to teach us what was the DNA of this church in Antioch, how was the Holy Spirit breathing through them, how can we make the connections so that the Holy Spirit keeps breathing that same spirit, that same fullness, that same control. In Acts chapter 11, we're at the end of Dr. Luke's little pericope, his little exposure of the founding of the church of Antioch. Just to catch all of you up, what happened was the persecution in Jerusalem, which was a big negative thing. Stephen was stoned and lost his life and, and Saul of Tarsus started throwing believers in jail and a horrible persecution broke out after Stephen's uh, stoning. And the believers were scattered. You think that was a negative thing, but everywhere they went, they told Jesus of Nazareth died on the cross. Jesus of Nazareth rose again from the dead. And so they went up a little bit to the north to Tyre and Sidon, which is in ancient Phoenicia. Then they went across to uh, the islands out there in the Mediterranean. Then they took the sea route up to Antioch. And when they got to Antioch, some of the Judean Jews that knew Jesus, they got so excited about Jesus that they started to share with the outsiders. They started to share with people that Jews didn't even touch, didn't eat with, didn't want to have any contact with. And the Gentiles began to respond in incredible numbers to the power of the gospel. The Jerusalem church sent Barnabas up there. We learned the last time we were together that he was a man that was full of grace. 
In other words, he could have been a religious Orthodox Jew that shut down, that was negative about what the mighty movement of the Spirit was doing up in Antioch. He could have told them, you need to become Jews. You need to get all involved in circumcision and all the 613 rules and regulations, but he didn't. It says he was a man full of grace, and he was full of goodness, and he was full of incredible teaching ability. He realized, man, I just got a big job. So he went and got Saul that was over in Tarsus. He found him, and we left our text last week with Dr. Luke telling us that Paul and Barnabas for a solid year taught the gospel. They taught how to build believers up. New believers were being saved. Those that received Christ as their Savior and were born and again into God's family started learning how to put the Old Testament together and how it all pointed to Jesus. They started learning how to be a body of Christ. They start to have leaders that begin to develop and they have like fathers and mothers that really care for this family. There's a mighty movement. There's a people movement taking place. And as we close this little snapshot of the Church of Antioch, Luke closes by showing how this commitment to the resurrected Jesus, this commitment to having Jesus be fill our lives and his spirit filling our lives, it expressed itself in an incredible desire to meet the needs of those that were hungry. Look what it says at the end of chapter 11. Let's pick it up in Acts chapter 11, verse 27. Acts chapter 11, verse 27. During this time, that's the time I was just telling you about. The time when the Spirit of God was filling the church of Antioch. The time when believers were responding and unbelievers were being saved. During this time of this incredible movement of the Spirit in Antioch, a prophet came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Now, in the first century church, especially before the New Testament was completed, there were those that had the gift of prophecy. And this is one of the early times in the book of Acts that were exposed to one of these New Testament prophets. And one of the things that an Old Testament prophet would do is that the Holy Spirit would come upon them and they could predict the future. For example, Jeremiah, as the tremendous storm cloud of the Babylonian Empire is growing, Jeremiah, before Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed the city of Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, Jeremiah said, Nebuchadnezzar's coming. The Babylonians are going to win. He predicted the future with minute accuracy. So one of the things that a prophet did, it's not the only thing he did, was predict the future. Another thing he did was he didn't just foretell, but he foretold. He gave revelation. And that's where we get the New Testament from. In fact, it's New Testament prophets, like Luke, for example, would be one of those New Testament prophets that had the Holy Spirit come upon him, and he was able to give a revelatory message that was on the same level as, for example, the book of Jeremiah. And that's why in our church we're studying the book of Acts, because this is where we have access to a prophetic word. But one of the things that would happen in a church in the first century is they would have a prophet, he came up and was fellowshipping with the church of Antioch, probably doing a lot like Paul and Barnabas were doing, helping with the teaching. And as they were gathered, the Holy Spirit powerfully came upon him. And as the Spirit came upon him, he predicted that there would be a famine. Notice what it says. One of them named Agabus stood up. So he stood up in the congregation of the church of Antioch. And he predicted that there would be a famine that would spread across the entire Roman world. Then Dr. Luke gives his little parenthesis. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The very first thing that we see as we talk about 
what was going on in the church of Antioch is they had an incredible immediacy of the spirit. They were responsive to the prophetic gift as God revealed to them. And they were sure that it was a word from God. They responded. One of the things I would caution you about in today's world is you need to be careful who you view as a prophet. In fact, Dr. Luke is signaling you. Agabus proved he was a legitimate prophet because he predicted there would be a famine and Claudius reigned from AD 41 to AD 54. Jesus died in 33. So about eight years later, Claudius came to the throne and there was a famine, especially in the area of Judea that we can judge from Suetonius and Tacitus, who are Roman historians that wrote, we know that there was intense famine in the year of AD 46 and AD 48. You can read other records that talk about Judea suffering from famine. You need to understand that it wasn't like the United States that we live in. For example, we've had a terrible drought. It would have produced horrible famine. In fact, a lot of you that are ranchers in the last several months, you've had a buy hay, first of all, from Oklahoma. Then you had to reach into Kansas, Nebraska. I've even had Montana friends talking about sending truckloads of hay down here. We live in a great big land and the borders are open. And if there's drought in one area of the land, there's rain in another part. And there's transportation to move resources from one place to the next. That's one of the things that we can be really thankful for. In the ancient world, they didn't have that. If famine broke out, if there was a terrible drought in Judea, people started starving. We have lots of opportunities to meet needs in in Africa because of political turmoil and because of geographical distances. Terrible famine breaks out. And boy, you can just get on the Internet this afternoon and you'll learn about places where there's incredible needs and incredible opportunities for us to meet the need. The early church, I want you to see their heart. I believe in our society, we don't really need an Agabus to tell us there's needs. We've got the hungry in Dallas. Talk to Dwayne, and you'll find out there's people that were just like you. They had jobs six months ago. Now they don't have a job. They never dreamt they would be in a food line, but they are. And just having people that respond to them and meet their needs. You can go to Manor House. Manor House was founded by the churches in Midlothian. The pastor of the Methodist Church at the time, because of some middle school kids that did a project that really exposed the needs of people that needed food right here in Midlothian. Transits that came through that need places to live. People that sometimes lived in cars. And as pastors, we would try to meet all these needs in the midst of a schedule. And sometimes people would be conning us, sometimes you wouldn't. It was out of that need... The churches all got together and manna was born. And that's the expression of the body of Christ here in Midlothian. What that spirit is, is exactly what was happening back in the first century. A prophet named Agabus said, there's going to be a famine. How did the early church respond? Did they say, well, everyone has their own thing. You made your bed. You're going to have to sleep in it. Everybody knows that people that starve, it's because they're lazy. And they just don't want to work hard enough. And that's always the cause of why people are hungry. Those are some of the things that are easy to say. That's not the way the early church responded to those kind of social needs. And that's not the way that we can respond. Look how the early church responded. A prophet predicted there would be a great famine. Before the great famine hit, 
we have the Christ-like response to the need. Look at the next verse. It says that the disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. You say, well, Dave, what's the motivation for giving in the new covenant church? And I want you to see, Dr. Luke doesn't just have this little paragraph and say, I'm now going to teach you about giving. He does something a whole lot better. He tells you, let me show a family, a real group of believers that are filled with the Holy Spirit, that are experiencing the joy of believing the resurrection, that are having unbelievers that respond. When they learn about some of their brothers and sisters in need down in Jerusalem, what did they do? And he tells us right here, he said, the disciples, so first of all, the people that respond are those that are following Jesus. So I asked myself, Dave, a disciple in the ancient world is someone that really listened to a teacher and spent time with them and allowed the teacher to internalize what they were teaching in their life. That's one of the things that we want to be after ourselves today. Has Dave been listening to Jesus this week? Is he following Jesus? Which means I don't just listen, but I obey. How about you? For example, if you haven't read the book of Acts at all since last Sunday, and you haven't really listened to anything in God's word, then this week you haven't been following Jesus. You're not a disciple And that's what Dr. Luke wants us to understand. We've got to really enter into this personally. I need to enter into it personally. That I'm listening to God's heart. And he's bringing up this area. He says, these were disciples. And last week I talked to you about the first time they called them Christians. And I talked to you about what a Christian was. is someone that was part of Jesus' group. They were a Jesus groupie. They were a Jesus follower. They were someone that followed the teaching of Jesus. And the unbelievers said, oh, yeah, there are those that follow Augustus. There's those that follow Herod. There's also this new group called Christianoi. Those are the ones that follow Christ. One of the things we want to get burdened about, and I want to just pray that I'll get burdened about it, that we will really be listening to the teaching of Jesus. And today... We're learning from Dr. Luke about the teaching of Jesus and how we respond when we find out especially that other brothers and sisters in Christ might suffer. Just recently in the church in Liberia, in Africa, it's under incredible persecution. So we need to really respond. We need to be asking the Lord to give comfort. Some of you that are involved, because we live in a complex world, some of you that are involved in government can use your influence to help to meet that need. Those of you that are involved in medicine can help to meet that need. All of us that are working our jobs as we skillfully give to organizations like Samaritan's Purse and like Food for the Hungry and other organizations that you might know of, as you work, it turns your work And your gracious, joyous response into a holy task that proves that you really are a follower of Jesus. And so when your unbelieving friends say, well, Jesus doesn't make any difference, you can say, you think that's really true? Have you ever examined the social impact of what born-again believers have done just in the last hundred years in the United States? And you would be blown away. So the argument that you hear from your unbelieving friend is, 
you know, this Jesus thing is a bunch of baloney. They're all a bunch of hypocrites. How do you respond to that? You say, yeah, I've met a lot of hypocrites. I'm a hypocrite sometimes. And that's why I need grace. But I want you to know it just isn't true that Jesus and his fullness of his spirit doesn't really move people today to meet concrete hunger needs throughout the world, beginning right here at home, and household needs, and all kinds of needs. And that's what Dr. Luke is teaching us. The early church, they were disciples. And notice it says that they weren't conscripted. It says that they weren't, um, they didn't set up a legal thing, that they ought to do something. It says each according to their needs. And Dr. Luke picks up on something that Paul's going to develop in the book of Corinthians. He teaches us that as New Testament believers, that we give according as the Lord has prospered us. And one of the joyous things that we do as the Lord provides for us right off the top in order to express our dependence upon him, we give. As we hear about needs, we respond to the needs. And Dr. Lucas saying, as Agabus the prophet mentioned this need, the Holy Spirit moved the believers and they responded and each according to as the Lord had blessed them, they all entered into it. In the early church, it was like this joyous, spontaneous, powerful expression of we've received grace from Jesus. We want to give grace to others. We can pray that the Holy Spirit is going to produce that kind of joyous, gracious response to giving in our church today. For example, your gracious gift. We just laid hands on Jonathan because you worked this past week and you give Jonathan can bring the gospel to a very needy place. Dave and Cindy Cox have been with us for six months. For years and years and years, your gracious response has built the church in Brazil and built the church in Brazil so much so that now it's reaching out to countries where we can never go. The Holy Spirit wants to keep that incredible story of responding to need. This summer, on a mission trip, a whole bunch of us went to Haiti. And you powerfully met social needs in one of the most needy countries in all the world. That's the book of Acts. That's Antioch. That's being a disciple of Jesus. And it says that each according as the Lord had prospered them, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. We need to be a gracious people that gives joyously to all the needs that we see. But one of the things I want you to see is that the New Testament in the book of Acts says you need to have a special family oneness with the body of Christ. And I want you to understand something as you read this, because we don't feel it too deeply. There was tremendous social and ethnic differences between the church of Antioch, which is up in what's now modern-day Turkey, very much in the southern part of Turkey, and way down there in Judea. From a social standpoint... The Antioch Gentiles would have said, who cares about those Jews? The outsiders versus the insiders. In fact, one of the big breaks in Christendom for 2,000 years is between Jews and Gentiles. And to be honest with you, it hasn't been until my lifetime that there was much movement among Jewish people. Like Jews for Jesus was founded out of a guy that received Christ. His name was Moshe Rosen, came to know Christ. I knew him as Marty Rosen. 
But he was stayed to one of my dad's meetings through his camping ministry. And then Moshe got a burden to reach Jews for Jesus. Tremendous messianic. Guys like Marv Rosenthal. Marv was a Jew. They came to know Jesus, went to Dallas Seminary, and then powerfully founded Jewish ministries to reach Jews for Jesus. Every one of you have heard of Messianic Judaism. And what Messianic Judaism is, Jews that are still Jewish culturally, and they do the kosher food laws, not to be right with God, but just to have joyous family, cultural, social relationships. But they are Messianic Jews that believe that Yeshua Ben David is the Messiah. That's a relatively recent thing because the Gentiles, as they rose to power and made Christendom, instead of following Jesus, they actually killed Jews. They forced Jews to convert through power, through the sword. That's just the sad history. And the Jewish church, for the most part, like the Jerusalem church, the Romans destroyed the whole city in 70. They did it again in 132. And there was no longer, for the most part, a Jewish part of the body of Christ. Because the history isn't too good. The outsiders, Gentiles, that the Jewish believers reached became the insiders. And when they did, they wiped out the Jews and made them total outsiders. So your unbelieving friends that know history are going to attack you like that. And one of the things that I want us to pray about today is that we're going to open ourselves to the spirit and we're going to really care for brothers and sisters wherever we find them. Because what the spirit of God was really trying to do in the first century was take those Gentile Antioch believers and cause them to realize those Jews down in Judea that believe in Jesus are your family, your brothers and your sisters. And one of the really powerful things is when brothers and sisters are starving and other brothers and sisters have resources, they meet the need. And so we're able to close in a very positive way. There's incredible family solidarity. They did this, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Just a little verse. But the early church of Antioch was organized. The Holy Spirit used those that had administrative gifts like he really needs to use in our church family. They got things organized. And they got the apostles. They chose two of their key teachers, Saul and Barnabas, who were recognized by the church in Jerusalem. And I want you to see in closing, there were already elders in the church in Jerusalem. And this is just about 10 years after Jesus was crucified and rose again from the dead. So what you have is this beginning movement where there are mature daddies that are mature spiritually that you can trust with large amounts of resources. One of the things that an elder did was they received funds to meet famine needs and they distributed them. So how are we expressing the solidarity to the whole body of Christ? So one of the very first things that the Lord's convicted me about is, Dave, how do you feel about the whole body of Christ in your area? The Church of Antioch? is united with the church of Jerusalem. So one of the things I want you to pray about today is that the Lord is going to give us tremendous solidarity, a growing solidarity among the churches in Midlothian. What it means is, if someone says, hey, I go to Life Church that I'm the highway, your first response is, I'm praying for you. Are people coming to know Jesus? Tell me about your pastor. Tell me about what you're doing. 
because you're my family and I want to know what's going on in that part of the family. If someone says, hey, you know, I go to First Baptist, your first response needs to be, tell me what the Spirit of God is doing over there. I want to hear about that. And to be honest with you, the Holy Spirit has a lot of work to do in all of our hearts about that, doesn't it? Because as American believers, we're very sectarian. We're Bible church people. We're Baptist people. We're Methodist people. We're Assembly of God people. We're Church of Christ people. The Holy Spirit way back in the book of Acts is saying, no, you're followers of Jesus. You are brothers and sisters. We need to realize that church history doesn't tell a good story about what he was trying to do with the Gentile Antioch church and the Jewish Jerusalem church. In church history, it's a bad story. Can we be used of the Spirit to tell a better story? The second thing I want you to pray about in the next few days is if the Lord's burdened you, you say, man, I drive to Dallas. I'm concerned about the people that are hungry there. You can go this month. You can go. So that's something just very, very strategic in our own area. United Way, almost all of those organizations, there's believers in almost every one of them. We have an incredible joy because believers have incredible influence. As I go into different businesses, whether it's Gerdau or whether it's TXI or whether it's Ashgrove, even the big industry, there will be born-again believers that are following Jesus, and it moves them to want to care about needs. So let's pray this morning as we close that we're going to listen to the prophetic revelation of Acts, that we're going to let the Holy Spirit give us incredible solidarity, real family unity, beginning right in our own church. We really are brothers and sisters. And then as we hear about needs, that we respond. Lord Jesus, I want to pray that you'd use this message not just to stir the hearts towards the specific goals that I've mentioned today, but Lord, stir our hearts about needs that are on the horizon. Needs like Agabus was predicting through his prophetic gift I pray, Lord, that you would, by the power of your spirit, use what we learn in the book of Acts today about the way that this early church responded to the social needs of this devastating famine, that you would powerfully use it to raise up that kind of response in our church family today. In Jesus' holy name we pray.